Our Father in heaven, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for your grace this morning. We look at the parable of the fig tree. It is a story of grace, a story of mercy. And I just pray that you would bless us with that this morning. It should give us your presence and that you'd be our teacher. Or as I'm not fit to teach anyone here and we're undeserving of even being shared with from a certain perspective. But because you're gracious to us, we ask that you would bless us with your presence, <clears throat> that you would bless us with your love and your hand upon us. As we read the story here this morning, as we open the scriptures, that your word would speak to us and that we would see you more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 13... We'll read verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll come back through it one verse uh, at, a, at a time. Actually, take a phrase at a time. So Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Jesus spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his where? And he came and sought fruit from it and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it cumber the ground? And he, now make sure you're contextually reading. Who's he here in verse 8? That's the keeper or the dresser, if you're reading the King James. The keeper answered and said unto him, Lord, leave it alone this year also, and I'll dig around it. And dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, good. And if not, then after that you can cut it down. We'll go back to verse 6. So again, we'll read the verse one more time. He, Jesus, spoke this parable saying, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And I want to ask you a question. I have a lot of questions this morning. I'm not just going to give all the answers. Who's he? Who's the certain man? Can I hear Christ? It's a little bit louder. For the, I heard a couple other answers too. Who's he? The boss. Okay. Think from a farming perspective. Who's who's the certain man? The owner of the the farm. Now that's a symbol. Who's he? I heard God. Is it the Father? Is it Christ? You kind of have to ask the question because who's the dresser then in the next verse? Third angel? Christ? My understanding of this, the way I, I read this, is that the certain man that is the landowner is God the Father. And that the dresser or the keeper of the vineyard is Christ his son. It says a certain man, God the Father, had a fig tree. Now this fig tree was out of place. Where was it? It wasn't in a fig yard. It was in a vineyard. Uh, Isaiah 5 verse 7, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression, and for righteousness, but behold a cry. And Ellen White writes in the Christ Object Lessons, the generation to whom the Savior had come were represented by the fig tree in the Lord's vineyard. Within the circle of his 
special care and blessing. That's page uh, 214 from Christ Object Lessons. So God had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and that, that, that vineyard symbolized that circle of his care and his blessing. Now, he came, it says in verse 6, and he was seeking fruit from his fig tree, because what else would you do with a fruit tree in your yard? You would eat from it. I worked with a landscaper, a friend of mine in uh, Arizona for a few years. Uh, he told me the story once of a man who had a uh, grapefruit tree in his backyard. It was a customer of his. He, he received this call from this customer, and he said, Hey, I've got this tree. It's not, not producing fruit. And he says, Well, what do you want? Do you want an ornamental or do you want fruit? And the guy said, Of course, I want fruit. Why? Because it's a, it's a fruit tree. It wasn't a pyracantha or uh, an ornamental of some type. So he came, he was seeking fruit, and the problem is that he found how much? Nothing. Again, from Christ's Object Lessons, one page later, 215, Helen White writes, God in his Son had been seeking fruit. Of course, this clarifies the earlier question I asked, who's the landowner, who's the dresser? Ellen White, page 215, paragraph 2. God in his son had been seeking fruit and had found none. Israel was a cumberer of the ground. Its very existence a curse, for it filled the place in the vineyard that a fruitful tree might fill. Now, if you're, um, as the Dysingers here, you're farming professionally as a career, you're, you're, um, your livelihood is based on your farm, right? How much is your land worth? How many of you are farming here? Okay. How much is your land worth? I'm not asking uh, dollars per acre, but value per square foot. You make your living off that land. Do you plant things into your garden? Do you plant things into your farm that merely take up space and keep it from being productive? I started a farm four years ago. I'm learning the value of land, every foot. I like the way she says this. It, it, it was taking up space. Its existence was a curse, for it filled the place in the vineyard that a fruitful tree might fill. How do you feel about things that cost you money? Warm fuzzy? Talk to me a little bit. How do you feel about things that cost you money? Uh, it depends on what they give back. This tree wasn't giving anything back. As a farmer, what do you do with something that's taking up land but not giving you anything back? You tear it out. You see this all the time in California, where I'm from. Uh, people switch crops. They might be growing cotton, and they you know, decide to tear out all of their cotton. They put in almonds. Or in some cases, they are growing pistachios, and, and almonds become more valuable, or walnuts. And so they tear out all their trees. And you see them bulldozing acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of land because some other crop is more profitable or more productive, or the times and seasons have changed, and the market has moved on to something different. It robbed the world, going on here, she says, it robbed the world of the blessings that God designed to give. 
The Israelites had misrepresented God among the nations. They were not merely useless, but they were a decided hindrance. To a great degree, their religion was misleading and worked ruin instead of salvation. Let's go to verse 7 again. How do you feel about the fig tree right now? Use some emotions. Describe to me your feelings about this fig tree that's taking up space. It's not only unproductive, it's... She says it's a curse. Its existence was a curse. Now, how do you feel about the fig tree? It's got it coming. It's got it coming. Somebody else. How do you feel about the fig tree? Frustrated. Frustrated. What was that? Eliminate it. I want it out of my life. Yeah. Say it one more time. Use it as a shed. Oh, shade. Okay. Anybody else? Sad? Pity. Let's go to verse 7. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, the keeper, the the vine worker. Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. And the landowner says, what? Cut it down. I don't know if he's just um, being prudent, if he's being... Malicious. I don't know if he hates the tree and wants it gone, or if he's just being practical as a business owner and saying, this tree's not working, need to make a better business decision. Kind of a novel idea, but the fig tree in the vineyard's got to go. The landowner says, cut it down. Why does it take up space? The word cumber here in Greek literally means to make inactive, idle, unemployed. Literally, he says, cut it down. It's making the land inactive. Now, if you apply this to the church, if you apply this to hear us here this morning, even though there's plenty of room at uh, 6.45 in the morning for other people in the room, are you taking up space? Am I taking up space? I could look at this generally. We could kind of generalize a little bit and say, am I just taking up space in the church? Am I making my, am I making my pew unproductive? Would my pew be more productive without me sitting in it? Now let me add a word. Do I sometimes do that? How many of you would say yeah? What's really fascinating to me about the story, and I'll ask it as a question, is there any blame cast upon the fig tree? Is there any, any blame? What do you say? Yes? yes? Huh? Okay, and I, I like your wording. That's kind of interesting. He said, 
you could argue that the owner in a roundabout way did. You're almost saying that, no, he didn't. Is there any criticism thrown upon the tree? It's using space. For three years. I'll push you a little bit. Beyond that, is there any blame cast upon the tree? Was it accused of being lazy? Maybe, depending on how you look at it, yeah. Wonderful question. Is it fair to expect fruit on a fig tree after three years? Well, we don't know when the fig tree was planted. The text doesn't say it. It doesn't say if it was three years ago, if it was five years ago, if it was ten years ago. It doesn't say how productive the tree used to be in the past. But the owner certainly came looking for So it sort of implies that he had the expectation that it would be bearing fruit. Was there any other blame cast on the tree? Yes. Was the trick, I'm going to ask again, fig tree accused of being lazy? Fig tree accused of being unconverted? Is the fig tree accused of not studying its Bible enough? Is the fig tree accused of not exercising enough? What's really interesting about the story is there's not really any criticism cast at the tree. It is said, stated, that it's unproductive and it's taking up space. Beyond that, how much is said? Actually, if you look at it, and especially if you look at verse 8, we'll go there next, the fig tree is given a tremendous benefit of the doubt. Look at verse 8. And he, that's the, the keeper of the vineyard, answers and says, Lord, do what? Leave it alone. Leave it alone this year also. And I'll do what? I'll dig around it. And I'll apply some manure to it. In the Greek language, the the phrase lit it alone is usually translated, not usually, about a third of the time it's translated forgive. Forgive. The keeper of the vineyard literally says, Lord, forgive the tree. He didn't argue the landowner's assessment. He didn't argue that the productivity of the land was not being used. He wasn't arguing that the tree wasn't productive. He didn't argue any of that with the landowner. He simply said, Lord, forgive the tree. And he didn't accuse the tree. And actually, if you look at his perspective, if you look at his actions from an agricultural point of view, he actually treats the tree as though there's something wrong with its conditions, not with the tree itself. So what does it say he does with the tree? He, he digs around it. He cultivates around it. Then he fertilizes it. He says there surely must be something wrong with the circumstances that this tree is in. He doesn't criticize the tree. He doesn't attack the tree. He doesn't belittle the tree or its unproductivity. So he does these things. And I'm going to ask uh, for those of you that are uh, gardeners and farmers, 
Why did he do that? Why, why dig about it and fertilize it? To help it bear fruit. But like from an agricultural point of view, like from a maybe scientific perspective, okay, he was aerating the soil. When you dig the ground, you loosen it up and you get air in there. Okay, what else? Might have been some weeding going on there, giving the tree a little bit less competition. That's good. What else? Okay, so we got two here. When you, when, you, when you dig around the tree, it loosens up that soil and allows the water to penetrate further down. And then you said, I'm sorry. Okay, the, the fertilization of it and getting minerals back down into the, the soil. Now, what was the type of fertilizer you used? Manure. And manure is pretty rich in what? Nitrogen is a fertilizer, okay. And... And, okay, I heard it over here. Microbial inoculation. Grass passes through the cow's intestine system, and you get an inoculation of microbes, beneficial microbes that uh, symbiotically work with the plant roots and, 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 and sort of feed the, help feed the tree. What else is in the manure? Probably more of this than anything else. Grass, In other words, organic matter. What does organic matter do in the ground? Lots. Feeds microbes. What holds more water, dirt or organic matter? Organic matter serves as a buffer for, for water holding in the soil. I'll tell you a funny story here. I have one more on my list. You did great, by the way. Thank you working with this landscaper friend of mine. This is, uh, like I said, in Arizona. He uh, was teaching me to prune fruit trees. I was, um, he, he was sort of a jack-of-all-trades guy. I really liked him, uh, but he did a little bit of everything. He, he'd do the, as he would call it, the mow, blow, and go stuff, you know, mow the lawn, clean it up, and then go down the street and mow the next guy's lawn, and he would, he would do a random assortment of things, it seemed, but he also pruned fruit trees for people. And that's the part that I was really interested in. So I was working with him to learn how to prune fruit trees. We're in someone's backyard, one of his customers, pruning some, uh, some peach or some sort of stone fruit. I can't remember what it was. And he starts telling me this story uh, about the guy with the grapefruit tree. But before he told me the grapefruit tree story, he told me a different story about a pear tree in his backyard. The pear tree had, had been unproductive for a while, and he was trying to figure out why and uh, decided he was just going to pull the tree out. But when he went to pull the tree out, the roots had tapped into his leech line coming out of his house. And of course, he didn't want to destroy his leech line. So now he's like, what do I do? He could just cut it down. So he decided to do something with the tree. He tells me this story, and I'm up on a ladder pruning this peach tree or whatever it was. He says, I went into my garage, and I got a two-by-six, and I carved a handle out of one end. And walked out to my tree, and he says, my neighbor was actually standing outside, and he looked at me walking out with this two-by-six that I've carved a handle out of. What do you do with a two-by-six that's got a handle on one end of it? Something's about to get hit. And right at that moment, I'm thinking, dude, you should not be teaching me to prune fruit trees. His neighbor says, are you going to do what I think you're about to do? And he says, yes, and you're going to watch me. And he proceeded to beat his tree. And I'm like, 
Wow, wrong guy I picked. He told me that uh, the next year his tree had fruit on it. Little discipline goes a long way, yeah. <laughs> so then he started to tell me about the guy, and this was in Phoenix, the guy with the grapefruit tree. And he asked the question, do you want an ornamental or do you want fruit? And the guy said, so he said, take a tarp, wrap it around the tree, then lean a tire up against the tree, and then drive into it with your truck, real, you know, gentle. The guy in Phoenix thought he was as crazy as I did and didn't do it. He said, a couple years later, the guy calls him back, and he says, you will not believe this. I was working on my wife's car in my driveway. I heard cars going through the neighborhood at a really high speed. Some guy was running from the cops. Went, this is a true story. That's okay, I didn't believe it the first time either. The guy running from the cops goes through the stop sign, the little intersection where the guy happened to live. Somebody else was going through the intersection at the same time, an innocent person, swerved to meet the bad guy and met, guess who? The tree. He said, you won't believe it. My tree has fruit on it. I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you. I said, dude, you are fruity. My wife and I planted... Um, Blackberries at my house about the same time. I have just a few more things to get through in a few more minutes. We planted some blackberries. I went on a trip uh, working with some coal porters. My wife called me and she said, what'd you do with the blackberry bush? I'm sorry for my response. It may tell you something about me that's embarrassing. I said, what do you mean what did I do with the blackberry bush? She's like, well, what'd you do with it? What are you talking about? I put it in my suitcase and brought it with me. Well, she's like, it's not there. I'm like, what do you mean it's not there? She's like, it's not there. I, I, don't, I don't understand. What are you saying? It's not there. She's like, listen, it's not there. And I'm getting really frustrated. Mm, actually, probably better, a little unchristian. I'm confused. Where'd it go? I said, well, go outside. I was, so, I was really so frustrated. I said, well, just go outside and take a picture of it. You want me to take a picture of the ground? Yes. I want you to take a picture of the ground. She's like, it, where did it go? It's like she, how do you leave your house with a blackberry bush, leave your, your, your blackberry bush in the hands of your wife, and go on a trip, and she calls and says it's gone? <clears throat> she sent me it via email, and I saw three little leaves sticking up out of the ground, and immediately I knew what happened, that we had gophers in the area, and the gopher had pulled the whole plant underground except for three leaves, all that was left on this little blackberry plant. I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> so I said, dig it back out, water it, and we'll see what it does. This is the first year we planted. Blackberries, this variety in particular, don't produce fruit on their first year. We had planted three or five of them, something like that. So this little blackberry bush started to grow. I was like, that's cool, it's still alive. And it really started to grow it outgrew the other ones that were planted on the same day. Then it flowered. And you know what follows flowering? I called my friend. I said, you will not believe this. You have to come to my house. And I stood with there in my garden with this man. His name's Daniel. 
I said, these were all planted at the same time, and I told him the story. And he said, yeah, I told you. Stress the tree, it has to choose to live or die. His tree chose to live. The grapefruit tree in the guy's yard chose to live. The blackberry bush in my, my garden chose to live. And sometimes, in a, the, the point here is that digging around the roots, if he disturbed the root system, may have initiated enough stress in the tree that it also decided, I'm going to live and not die. So he tells, and back in verse 8, he tells the owner of the land, give it a year. Give it a year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. Go to verse 9. If it bear fruit, good. And if not, then after that, somebody finish it for me. No, you skipped a word. Don't say cut it down. Look at it. You shall cut it down. And, and this, I'm sorry, I'm out of time here. I never get to the best part. You notice this back and forth exchange. Landowner comes to the vine yard keeper and says, cut it down. And the keeper says, give it a year, and if it doesn't bear fruit, who cut it down? You cut it down. God the Father says to Jesus, there are unproductive people in my church. Cut them down. Jesus says, no, give them a year, then you cut them down. And God says, no, I don't really want to cut it down. You cut it down. No, give it just a little time, and then you can cut it down if you don't like it. God the Father doesn't want to cut down the tree. You know what the problem is? Jesus doesn't want to either. Nobody blames the fig tree. Not one word of criticism. And no one wants to lay a hand on it. Piles of criticism, your church members. Piles of criticism are heaped on sinners. Oh, they don't read their Bible enough. Oh, they're doing this sin. Oh, they're doing that sin. Oh, this person this. Oh, this person that. God the Father, Jesus the Son, laid not one word of criticism against the tree other than it wasn't being fruitful. Nothing else. And then when it came to doing what really needed to be done from an agricultural, from an economic perspective, what really needed to be done with an unproductive tree on a farm, cut it down, is nobody wanted to do it. Not the landowner, not the keeper, no one wanted to cut it down. To a certain extent, Both of these men would rather have land wasted than the tree cut down. And I think it says a lot about the character and the personality and the love of God for sinners. In America, we have too much of a production mindset. In some cases, we need to have more, true. Especially if you run a farm, I get it. But when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to the way we treat people within our church, we too often have a production mindset when God is less concerned about the usefulness of the land than he is about the life of the tree. One last note, we have to close. A lot of people see Jesus just like the parable teaches. 
We see Jesus as the intercessor. You remember the word, let it alone. I told you about a third of the time is translated forgive. We see Jesus as that sort of way. We see Jesus pleading with the Father to forgive, to, to, to pardon, to, to give a little time, to give a little space. We see Jesus as the good guy interceding with God, which making of Jesus as the good guy makes God the Father who? The bad guy. The one who doesn't like you. The one who hates your sins. The one who doesn't like your unproductivity. See, he's the rational, prudent, business-minded landowner who says, hey, it's unproductive, cut it out. Jesus needs to intercede with him for your life. There's some truth with that. But God the Father told Jesus, you cut it down. Because he didn't really want to do it. And maybe you think I'm playing on the words just a little bit this morning. Perhaps that'd be a fair criticism. But perhaps it's not. Perhaps God is hesitant to cut the tree down. The Father, as Jesus the Son is, willing to intercede. And they constantly go back and forth. Not over a piece of ground that's unproductive, but over the tree. Because you, the tree, we, the tree, the church, are what God loves. Not space. Not real estate. Not the pews in the church. Not the building. We are the object of God's love. We are the thing that they are both striving for. We are the thing that they are both laboring for. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says God gave, and Jesus' his Son went willingly. They partnered together for you and for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this story, and I would pray that you would bless this story. Each one of us here struggles with sin, we struggle with temptation, we struggle with unproductivity. We're often perhaps fruitless. And if we are fruitful, to be honest, to be truthful, many of us are not as fruitful as we should be, even if we are bearing some fruit. And Lord, while you're concerned about fruit, the story teaches us that our life is about more than productivity. Our life is ultimately about how much you love us. You, the Father, and you, the Son, for which we are very grateful and very humble. Blessed be your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.